I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. So anyhow, we're good and we're ready to go. Um, So I'm Pastor Mike Winger. By way of introduction, this is the Theology and Apologetics live stream I generally do every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And today we're tackling the topic of Calvinism. And I want to start by explaining what you can expect for the rest of this video. So let me give you a quick rundown because you know I'm going to go in depth. We're going to deal with a lot of details. This is specifically to me a key issue regarding Calvinism. It's one of the main reasons. One of the reasons why I'm not a Calvinist is is this thing right here that I'm about to unpack for you. Um, So, uh, some issues relating to the debates between, say, Calvinism and non-Calvinism, or Arminians, or traditionalists, or fill-in-the-blank, it's fluff. And I am not interested in the fluff. I don't care if it's effective. I don't care if it's rhetorically useful. I'm just not interested in the fluff. I want to know biblical reasons for holding things. Is it biblical? That's all I care about, right? I'm going to embrace it if it is, and I'm going to try and reject it if it's not. And just my my goal then is, is it biblical? So this is a Bible-focused issue right here. Um, and I do think it's theologically central to the issue. It's not the only issue that's central, and it will connect to other issues, but I think it's very important. So allow me to unpack it. I'm going to share Calvinist quotes uh, to support what I'm saying, I'm going to share several Calvinist quotes. I'm going to go to the scriptures to establish my points, and then I'm going to show you how this biblical uh, truth that I'm going to demonstrate, uh, how it un- really undermines a pillar of Calvinism, in my opinion. So that's kind of the plan for today, and I want to offer uh, a disclaimer for my Calvinist friends. I consider this a family matter. You are my brother and sister in Jesus, well, or sister, um, not both, but we're we're part of a family discussion here. Um, I don't vilify Calvinists. I don't vilify Calvinism. I really want to maintain, I hope, some respect between me and those who I disagree with on this topic. Um, I know a lot of Calvinists follow me and follow my teaching, and you might be cringing that I'm even covering this topic. Let me assure you, this is not my normal topic. I'm not going to be, you know, camping out on this all the time. That's not going to happen. I'm also not going to demonize you and your views, uh, and I'm going to do my best to try to represent them carefully and thoughtfully, even though you might feel I'm misrepresenting. I'm really trying not to. I really am. Um, At the end of the stream, we're going to handle your guys' comments, and I will actually answer the comments you're putting in the live chat right now, but I'm going to prioritize, I'm going to ask AJ that you do this, prioritize the comments coming from Calvinists, specifically. If you think, I think that's from me from a Calvinist, or they say they are, then prioritize that so that you can respond to the things I'm about to say. Um, So, here's the issue. Is faith a work? Is faith a work? And some would say, Mike, that doesn't matter if it's a work. This is irrelevant. I really disagree. I think that Uh, Whether or not faith is a work connects deeply (laughs) and presently to the topic of whether or not Calvinism is true. And my contention is that Calvinists, they treat unjustifiably, will treat faith or act as though faith is a work when they're discussing how they defend their Calvinist positions. And if, if we can undermine that and say faith is not a work, then all of a sudden I have less reasons to be Calvinist, if not no reasons. Um, maybe not none. There might be one other major pillar that I'd like to cover someday, but probably not anytime soon. So is faith a work? Does Calvinism teach uh, that faith or a free will to choose faith, that this is a somehow a, a meritorious labor for God? So let's start with the Bible. Let's go to, uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter three, and I'm actually going to put it up on the screen for you. Romans chapter three, and we're going to be looking at the concept of whether or not faith is a work. 
So here it is. Bible first, then we'll do Calvinist quotes, then I'll respond, and uh, then I'll do your guys' comments as well. So Romans 3 verse 20, it says, uh, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So by works of the law, no one's justified. We're not justified by these works. But now, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And the idea here is simply that when I believe, I am therefore made righteous, and that is the opposite of works. Now, most Calvinists are like, yeah, Mike, I agree. How is this even relevant? Well, Let's think about this. The works of the law, Jesus summarized the entire law with two commands. He used, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the whole law. So we're saying anything that fits in that whole category, right? Loving God, loving your neighbor. This is every work, every good work you can imagine that might merit salvation. That's not how we're saved. Instead, we're saved by believing. So works is juxtaposed or put against um, faith as though these two things are contrary to each other. Let's read more because it gets more clear as we go down to verse 27, Romans 3, 27. It says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So this this is actually also really key in our conversation. Remember Romans 3.27 in particular. Because it's saying that if we're saved by faith, not by works, then that means we have no reason to boast. That faith itself establishes that you are not working. Belief being the thing that gives us salvation through Christ and through what he has done for us. Not just faith in general, but faith in Jesus because of his finished work on the cross. That 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 faith means I have no reason to boast. So this is super simple stuff, right? And for me, being a guy who was, I've never been a Calvinist. I've been exposed to Calvinism a a, a decent amount. But when I heard Calvinists start acting like faith was a work, I was like, but wait, I mean, the Bible makes it clear that faith and works are contrary to each other. That one rules out the other. If I'm saved by works, it's not by faith. If I'm saved by faith, it's not by works. Okay, so this is easy stuff, right? This is easy, simple Bible study stuff. Remember Romans 3.27, it'll come back up in a minute. All right, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Now we get to Abraham. Um, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Same concept as in 3. It's about, do you get get credit, right? If I can boast, it's because I get credit. Do you have any credit, any measure of credit for your salvation? Not if you're saved by faith. That's what this is about. Yes, if you're saved by works, then you can boast. If it's by faith, you can't boast. um, Because you didn't earn it. It's not meriting anything. Faith merits nothing. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief counted as righteousness. It's not righteous. It was counted. He was given righteousness because of his faith. Um, Now to the one who works, but his 
or his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, again, the, I'm just kind of burning the point into your mind, right? That faith is not a work because look at verse five to the one who does not work, but believes. Well, if believing is not working, then faith is not a work. Um, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So we have again uh, another passage there. Let's scroll down to Romans 4 verse 13. And it says again here in Romans. And Romans, of course, I mean, I love the book of Romans. You guys know, I mean, I have a whole 49, <laughs> 49 part series teaching through the book of Romans available on YouTube. But here we are at Romans 4.13. Um, beautiful, beautiful stuff. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, since Romans has already established that faith itself isn't meriting anything, righteousness of faith means I believe God, he gives me righteousness. That's what it means. God gets all the credit and I can't boast. That's what Romans is saying in Romans 3 and 4. Verse uh, 14, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the, the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And then we'll read verse 16. Uh, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 16, Romans 4.16 is massively important on this issue. This is why. This is why God's making it depend on faith. Why salvation depends, re requires, it must have faith on the part of the person to be saved. Why it depends on them is so that the promise can rest on grace. Faith establishes grace. It, if it's by faith, then it's going to be by grace. Okay, let's look at Galatians. Galatians 2. And we'll look in verse 16, Galatians 2, 16. It says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Just again, the juxtaposition, right? If it's by faith, it's it's grace, it's free, you don't get to boast. If it's by works, you could boast, but guess what? Everyone fails. No one's justified that way by works. So faith is obviously not a work. It seems um, that if you're going to take the Bible, these Bible passages seriously, you cannot later on try to pull a switcheroo on me and tell me that me believing is meritorious and boastful and it's somehow earning something and giving me credit for my salvation. So let's continue Galatians 3, 2. Let me ask you only this. Uh, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the, by hearing with faith? Just one or the other, right? It's not both. Did you, it's either by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And here it's hearing with faith, like you, you heard, right? But you had to have faith. As, as a Hebrew says, like the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. So you have to hear and believe. Um, you have to do both of those things. And then Galatians 3 verse 5 and 6. This is actually the last two verses I'm going to cover, I think, or maybe one more um, before we look into some Calvinist quotes. Uh, so, Galatians 3 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Which one is it? Right? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham doesn't get a boast. You don't get a boast. You don't get any credit. Faith equals grace. Faith equals no boasting. Faith equals all credit to God. All credit to God. That's what faith means. But in the Calvinistic system, this is very quickly changed. And this is one of the reasons, again, why I cannot be a Calvinist. Now, if anyone's wondering, like, Mike, why are you covering this topic? I just want to throw it out there. I I did a poll on my YouTube channel where I asked you guys, um, what do you want me to talk about? And I I brought up two issues, the Passion Translation that's coming out, do a review of that, or deal with faith as a work in Calvinism. And over 900 people voted, 500 of them specifically said, hey, um, we want to see... uh, we want to see this Calvinist issue unpacked and dealt with. And so I'm dealing with it today. Actually, because so many people voted for the Passion Translation, I'm going to do that next week. About 400-something voted for that. So obviously, there's a lot of interest in that. I'm doing my work on that. And I'm actually, it's funny, um, with Calvinists, I'm so willing to disagree that I'm actually like more passionate about dealing with this Passion Translation <laughs> than I am about this issue of Calvinism. But I, I think for the sake of loving biblical truth and seeking biblical clarity, that this is a good thing to talk about. And um, and I do think that the Bible is very clear on this issue and Calvinism muddies it for us quite a bit, actually starts changing definitions and moving things around. So, uh, so here we go. Uh, two things that we've got so far to these passages. I should say three things, really. Works, as in earning salvation. We hate that. That's unbiblical. Nobody gets that. Like you, There's no such thing as works for salvation. It will never happen. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All are condemned and can only be saved through Jesus Christ. It's through believing in him. That's my action. I believe in him. But that's not a work in the sense that it, it merits anything. No, he merits it all. And when I believe, I don't now have a reason to boast. I don't have any, any credit that goes, oh, I believed, I trusted, I'm, you know, I did a good job. Like the Bible says, because it's by faith, you can't boast. So don't tell me I'm boasting <laughs> in that regard. So um, works we, we don't like, works are bad. Faith is not a work. That's the second thing. Faith is not a work. In fact, faith establishes grace and faith gives no reason to boast. You can't boast if all you had was faith. The Bible's very clear. So let's move forward. Um, how does Calvinism treat faith as a work? Well, if we're going to talk about uh, this issue, we're going to need to quote some Calvinists. So here is um, R.C. Sprawl, and he deals with the issue here of um, synergism and monergism. Now, hold on, let me come back to that in a second. Um, I'm not going to, for those of you, I'm hoping you're at least a little familiar with Calvinism. You're watching this video. This is probably not the video for introducing you to the topic. This is a video for helping you understand it in, I think, a better way, in a more simplistic and clear way. Um, but, uh, but you've got to know at least these terms, synergism, monergism. So I'm just going to teach you these. I think this is it. These are only two fancy words. If you don't know these words, you need to know them for the sake of this discussion because they come up constantly. So what is synergism and what is monergism and how does it relate to this issue? So here's a quote from, uh, RC Sprawl on, um, monergism and synergism. Again, he is of course, one of the um, proponents, well-known, well-respected proponents of uh, Calvinism and um, uh, went to be with the Lord recently. I love R.C. Sprawl. I recommend listening to his stuff. Catch this. I recommend it. I think it's a good thing. Here I, I feel like, I feel like something's wrong that I'm not on the screen. Boom. Look at that. Hi, everybody. Okay. Let me, uh, okay, there we go. So here's what R.C. Sprawl says about monergism and 
in his own words, this is a Calvinist, right? He's going he's gonna to take everybody and lump them in two categories. You're a synergist or you're a monergist. And I'm going to argue with that. <laughs> so he says, the doctrine of justification by faith alone was debated during the Reformation on the deeper level of monergistic regen regeneration, meaning that we, we're initial point of salvation, regeneration. That happens monergistically with only God working. So let's explain the, the term. This technical term must be explained. Monergism is derived from a combination of a prefix and a root. We're talking about the etymology or the pieces of the word. The prefix mono is used frequently in English to indicate that which is single or alone. Single or alone. That sounds so depressing. Just kidding. Uh, the root comes from the verb to work. The, so we have mono, which means alone, and we have syner synergistic or synergy or an ergistic. This is the idea of, I'm sorry, I've just confuzzled it. Um, ergistic, that's, that, that second part has to do with work or labor. So the root comes from the verb to work. The erg of monergy comes into our language uh, to indicate a unit of work or energy. When we put the prefix and root together, we get monergy or monergism. So monergism is something that operates by itself. It operates by itself or works alone as the sole active party. Sole active party. Monergism is the opposite of synergism. Synergism shares a common root with monergism, but has a different prefix. The prefix syn comes from a Greek word meaning with. Synergism is a cooperative venture, a working together of two or more parties. So if, that, if I lost anybody there, I will now just summarize what I just read from uh, R.C. Sprawl. Super genius, brilliant guy. But he says basically, right, monergism is when only one person's doing all of the work, all of the labor, all of the effectual things happening. Only one person does it. Synergism is when more than one does it. So synergism, if, if, if two people are rowing a boat, that's synergism. But if one person's sitting in a boat and the other person is rowing the boat, that's monergism. One guy's doing all the work. So how would you describe salvation? Well, every Christian's going to go, well, it's monergism. Obviously, it's monergism, right? God does all the work. I just sit in the boat. You know, I just do nothing. He does everything for me. And here is where the switcheroo is going to take place. Calvinists are going to start to say that because you believed, and if you think you believed based upon a decision you made, and I don't even mean without the help of God, right? With God helping you, with, with the Holy Spirit working in your heart, with the gospel being proclaimed to you and God drawing you, but you made a free will choice. Like you could have accepted it. You could have rejected it. You chose to accept it. That's synergism. You did some of the work. And here's where I go. Wrong. Didn't we just go through a bunch of scriptures that says faith is not a work? So don't say that my choice to believe makes me a synergist in regards to salvation because it starts to be a switcheroo. You start to act like the 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 act of believing is a work. Remember the, the two sin erg, two people or more working? I'm working for my salvation. Faith is now working for salvation. That is not biblical. This is a unbiblical definition of faith, an unbiblical definition of choice. That is not that is not true. So let me uh, share with you now a quote from a guy who I, I hate to quote right now, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> this is James White on the topic of synergism. Um, here's the reason why I'm hating to quote him. I love James White, and I've never played any of his videos except this first time, and now it's to disagree with him, and I kind of that kind of makes me sad. Um, I really love James White. I highly recommend you listen to his content. 
and um, I just think he's wrong about Calvinism. But but specifically, I want to play a quote where he defends Calvinism and he does this synergism monergism thing, and I think it's worth us listening to, to talk about. So uh, I'm going to play a quote now from uh, Dr. James White, um, whom I love and respect, and whom I'm about to say I think is wrong. Um, so. Uh, have grace upon me. <laughs> what binds all synergists together is that God is not the one who saves. He makes salvation possible. He aids by some kind of grace, whether it's a prevenient grace or whatever else. But uh, unless you're a full-on Pelagian, uh, you will at least acknowledge the necessity of some level of God's grace. Um, and so what binds everyone together is that if you're a monergist, God can actually save. If you're a synergist, God can only try to save. And you can give him all the credit in the world and say, I've never been able to save myself. That's true. But you also have to turn it around if you're a synergist and say, and God could not have saved me without me. That's, that's the issue. That's the fundamental issue. Okay, <clears throat> I got to come in here and I'm actually going to play this again now. You, you've heard everything he said and I think I gave enough context so that you can understand what he's talking about. There's, this is a long video. It's like, you know, very long where he talks about synergism and other things. <clears throat> in James White's view, synergism includes... Um, uh, not only Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Islam, um, and even Catholicism, in that they all have one thing in common. They all appeal to God giving some measure of grace, but they also all say that man has to do certain works to be saved. So that's sinner, to me, that's synergistic in the true sense of the word. Man is doing works and God did works. So we both work together so that I can be saved. That's, that's to me, true biblical use of the term synergism but because you choose to believe within the non-calvinist view you, you you believe jesus did all the work but you chose to just trust him we're going to call that a work now so now we can say you too are lumped in with cal with a uh, catholicism which has, truly does have a false gospel and i have a whole series on that if that if that raises your eyebrows to hear me say that i'm not attacking catholics i've just i have a series on that go look up my series on uh, catholicism online but I'm lumped in with them, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and every other false belief system. So I'm going to play this again, and I want to pause it a little bit to kind of respond to some of the things that uh, James uh, White says here. All synergists together is that God is not the one who saves. Okay, pause. This is, of course, a, a big, bold statement here, right? All synergists, again, it includes me. I'm considered a synergist, even though I'm... I'm firm, like grace alone, salvation. Now, James wouldn't demonize me. He would say that I'm just, I have inconsistencies and he would still accept me as a brother. And I appreciate that. Um, but God alone doesn't do the saving. So the implication is that me just by believing me, just saying, I trust you, Jesus, I'm doing some of the saving. That's not biblical, is it? The verses we read are, are very clearly saying that you just believing means you did nothing and God gets all the credit, all the glory. And uh, it was by grace. Let's keep listening. He makes salvation possible. He aids by some kind of grace, whether it's a prevenient grace or whatever else. But uh, unless you're a full-on Pelagian, 
uh, you will at least acknowledge the necessity of some level of God's grace. Um, okay, so we. This is, I think, an incorrect view of, of say, myself, a non-Calvinist, who would say, uh, I recognize that I entirely need God's grace. Like, I fully, 100% need God's grace. There's no grace, or no work, that I do, I just believe. But the, the assumption that's underlying what he's saying is that my belief itself, my choice to trust in Christ, that itself is a work that I do. Even if I believe that the Holy Spirit did a work in me to, to help me to do it, that I didn't even do that alone, right? Like God called out to me, reached out to me, his word preached to me, the gospel impacted me. I'm believing all this stuff, um, but that still means I'm getting some credit. But that's not biblical. Let's keep listening. And so what binds everyone together is that if you're a monergist, God can actually save. If you're a synergist, God can only try to save. And you Okay, I was gonna pause for a second. He's gonna say more. Actually, let me let me play the rest of what he says here. I don't wanna I don't wanna cut him off. You can give him all the credit in the world that I never been able to save myself. That's true. But you also have to turn it around if you're a synergist and say, and God could not have saved me without me. That's that's the issue. That's the fundamental issue. So the <clears throat> that's the end of that uh, video from James. So the fundamental issue is monergist is believing that God saves you entirely and that includes making you have faith somehow whether he 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 gave you the ability to only choose faith that's I don't know how else to put it I'm trying to fairly represent Calvinism here um, but then the synergist view what they call synergism <laughs> is the view that I just I just chose to trust that's it but that's not synergism right the Bible explains God's doing all the work in that exact scenario um, so uh, that's uh, that's the James White thing then to, to suggest that this means God tries to save and can't this to me I'm gonna call that fluff right that's re that's rhetoric that's not accurate I don't think that that's accurate and all respect to, to, to James White man I love the guy they just did a debate by the way him and dr. Michael Brown did a debate against uh, some two uh, pro-gay advocates on it's online you should totally look it up wonderful stuff Love those guys. Hate to disagree with them. Um, now I want to look at a quote from uh, R.C. Sprawl Jr. This is a quote from R.C. Sprawl Jr. And see if you can't tell where he violates the biblical text that we just read earlier. So in, in um, Is Faith a Work on Ligonier.org, um, he says, Faith is not a work on two counts. And he's going to give us two reasons why faith is not a work. And I want to show you how this, this violates the text we read. First, it is a gift from God. It is not just received by grace, but it but it is a grace. Now, for those who just, you just read the Bible, like you don't look to church councils, you don't know that kind of stuff. When you say it is a grace, you don't even know what he means by that because this is not, this is not so much biblical language as it is language that comes from the councils and the debates of the church, his, of church history. But anyways, he says it is a grace, <clears throat> meaning that I'm not even choosing faith. It's something kind of given to me. Boom, I have faith. So faith is something God gives to us on our own. It is not possible for we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And note that our faith has a specific object as he is offered to us in the gospel. Um, so they, he's going to take, I'm not going to cover this of course today, but he's going to take the idea that you're dead in sins to mean you couldn't even say, Lord, I believe. You can't even say that. Dead in sin means you can't even say I believe uh, to the gospel. Even with the 
the help of the Holy Spirit, you have no, no, you have to actually get regenerated first. Um, so, listen to the second reason, because my contention is this: the first reason is 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 sort of Calvinist teaching that I think is an untrue, right? The second reason proves the first one's unnecessary. Listen to his second reason. Second reason why faith is not a work. Faith by its nature is passive. We rest, we don't work. We receive, we do not earn. There is more to resting than mere assent, but there is not more work. Indeed, there is no work at all, just resting and receiving the very ground of our salvation, the work of Christ for us. And I'm like, look, if faith is just receiving and just trusting, if, if, if it's not work, then I don't need the first half of what you said to be true. Um, more importantly, it's not clearly taught in the scripture that faith is a gift in that sense, a monergistic work of God where he makes me have faith. That's not uh, anywhere uh, in the Bible is my contention. And I'm very happy to talk about the passages where people say they find that. One more um, sort of, I'm trying to lean towards Calvinist people respect here. So um, I hope this is a good source that I've chosen, but ReformationTheology.com under Is Faith a Work um, says, we confess with the Bible that our regeneration or new birth in Christ is monergistic, a work of God alone and not synergistic, a cooperation of man and God in regeneration. Now, I agree in the sense that faith does not merit anything, right? Salvation is entirely monergistic. I think I'm a monergist, <laughs> but they're going to say, no, you're not. And the reason is because they think faith is a work. So Thus, our faith in Christ arises out of a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to change and soften our natural hostile disposition towards God. We likewise affirm that only by upholding monergistic regeneration do we faithfully herald the biblical doctrine of sola gratia, or salvation by grace alone. All other schemes in which unregenerate man either takes the initiative, well, I don't know anybody who thinks we take the initiative. God obviously took the initiative, both in making me, sending Jesus to save me, and then reaching out to me with the gospel along with the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I did assent. I did make a choice there. That seems to be what scripture teaches. And that's not a work. Um, so all other schemes in which unregenerate man either takes the initiative or cooperates to be regenerated by a faith produced or drawn from their own native ability should be considered synergistic. Some may be unhappy with being called a synergist because it implies that they believe man and God work together towards salvation, which clearly is a form of semi-Pelagianism. I'm not going to get into the issues of what's Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. Um, it just takes a lot to unpack all that. But, uh, but clearly, he starts off by saying salvation is entirely a work of God. And, but then the rest of the article is like saying, hey, that's why you can't believe because if you even... If you even respond in faith to the to the drawing of God, if you have any part, if any part of your will said, "Yes, Lord, I want you. I want to be forgiven. I want to know Christ. I want to receive. I hear the Holy Spirit calling, and I'm I'm saying yes." If any part of you says yes, then you are therefore you are therefore working for your salvation. I mean, am I getting it wrong? Look at the last sentence. Some may be unhappy with being called a synergist because it implies that they believe man and God work together towards salvation. Now, biblically, working for salvation. That's anathema to me. That's a false gospel, right? But you're saying that me just believing is a work. Hence, the Achilles heel of Calvinism, right? Faith is not a work according to the Bible. Faith establishes grace. It doesn't ruin it. You choosing to trust in Christ doesn't undermine God's love, doesn't undermine God's power, his glory, or him monergistically saving you. It just doesn't change that at all. Um, 
so this is a big deal. There's there's just something about about you just trusting in God that, that in Calvinism they'll elevate this and make it a gospel issue, um, which is why some Calvinists, not all, in fact, maybe not even most, probably probably a minority, will actually look at what I'm saying today and they'll be like, Mike, you're you have a false gospel, like you are you are you're anathema, like you're cursed to hell for this false gospel. Um, but most of them, I don't think, would have that particular perspective. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do something a little different, which is um, I want to take you guys to the tulip test. Now, I, I, I had an interaction with uh, Cy Tenbruggen Kate not long ago on um, tulip, and I'm um, tulip, on um, presuppositional apologetics, and he had sent me on Twitter this thing, this thing called the tulip test. So, um, let me, let me get, how do I get to the beginning of this? Let me, let me bring it there. This is... Oh, I hope I didn't delete it off of my, uh, okay, give me a moment. I'm going to bring it up. This is the tulip test and the tulip test, um, is a, uh, boom, there it is, is, is basically, in my opinion, that this tulip test is a sneaky way of getting people to think that faith is a work. And so now that I've kind of done the hard work, the homework of saying, hey, faith is not a work, but the Bible says it, Calvinists tend to say that it is, um, now I can actually respond to this. So let me get myself a little bit more out of the way so you can read, because you need to read the text of what he says. This is on proofthatgodexists.org. This is Sai's website. And here's Sai. I love you, brother. Actually, I had a really good time talking with you, but this is these are just trick questions. That's ultimately what they come down to. So... Um, I got to get to the beginning of this. Let me, let me just agree with him here so that, so that he'll, so that he'll get me to the beginning of his, his cycle. There it is. Start. Okay. This is the tulip test. This is supposed to convert you, you know, you're, you're thinking, right? So first question is the word of God, your ultimate authority. Um, I'm going to answer this the way you would, if you were not ready, if you didn't have my training, I just gave you on the topic, you'd be like, well, yeah, I believe the Bible. Okay, so any doctrine which denies Jesus Christ the glory he's due is wicked. Do I agree with that? Uh, yeah, like, don't be stealing glory from Jesus, that's evil. How much glory does Jesus get for my salvation? All of it. Jesus gets all the glory. He alone saved me through all of his glorious work. He, did it, he gets all the glory. Amen. What makes you different from the damned? Different from the damned? Well, I'm saved. I mean, that's not damned, you're saved. Like, that's the difference, right? So... Well, was it what I did or what Je Well, it was what Jesus did. Obviously, Jesus, what he did, did Jesus do the same for everyone? Oh, wait a minute. I thought Jesus died for the whole world. So I'm going to say he did do that for everyone. And then he's going to say, well, down at the bottom here, if Jesus did the same for everyone, then what makes you different from the damn must be what you did. Well, does that mean that what I did? Okay, so what I did is, I guess, because I believed, right? Oh, yeah, I believed and they didn't believe. So what I, I guess that made, that's what made me different. How much glory does Jesus get for my salvation? Oh, easily. He gets, he gets all the glory, but, oh, you're asking me this because I think that if I, if I did the, did the belief, and that's what makes me different, then I'm, I get the glory for my salvation, or at least some of it. And that's what he says at the bottom here. It's hard to read. If what makes you different from the damned is what you did, then you share the glory of your salvation with Jesus. If that's the case, then Jesus does not get all the glory for your salvation. You are denying him of his glory, and you, as you're admitting, are adhering to a wicked doctrine, because I said it was wicked to give glory to someone that belongs to Jesus. 
wow, okay. So Jesus gets all the glory for my salvation. So then what oh, brings me back to what's the difference? I guess it's what Jesus did then. Does Jesus do the same for everyone? I guess not. I guess I guess I'm I'm a Calvinist. Like I just became a Calvinist. Now let me show you if you don't already notice where the trick took place. But this is this is perfect. This is a perfect example because it's this is exactly how it goes down, right? The word of God, I mean you know, God spoke through his word. God's my ultimate authority. That's to be more clear. I would say God's my ultimate authority, but he did inspire the word. So the Bible carries God's authority. Um, so let's say yes to this. Any doctrine which denies Jesus, his glory is wicked. I fully agree. Again, I agree. How much glory does Jesus get? All of the glory for my salvation. What makes me different from the damned? And here's where the trick comes. Faith isn't a what I did thing, is it? I mean, I believe, but it's not a work that do, that makes me different. Jesus, I believed him, but it didn't earn anything. I didn't gain anything. So Jesus, he saved me, right? He not only died on the cross for the world, but then he, he, he brought me into that salvation. So I'm going to say it was what Jesus did. And did Jesus do the same for everyone? Absolutely, he did the same for everyone, sort of, right? Because he died to save me, but then... Well, okay, so then what 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 I did? Because it was my belief. And this is again where where um where this is where the, the switcheroo takes place. How much glory does Jesus get for my salvation? He gets all the glory. You know why? Because Romans three twenty seven Rome, let me take you there. Boom and boom and boom. Remember the verse I said we needed to remember it was Romans three twenty seven. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. I don't get a boast because it was just faith. That's all I did. I just believed. And faith is resting and faith is not a work, as R.C. Sprawl Jr. said in his second reason why faith is not a work. So I get no glory. So Jesus gets, even though my belief is a difference between me and the unsaved, what makes me different, what makes me saved, is what Jesus did, not my belief. So he gets all the glory. So again, this is just, it's a switcheroo and I see it all the time and it's subtle and it's sometimes hard to find, but it is indeed, in my opinion, the ultimate switcheroo. Um, so I asked, I'm about to go to your guys' questions in, 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 in a few minutes here, but I asked these two questions on my Facebook page and I also asked on Twitter and I wanted to get responses in preparation for this. So here's my two questions I asked Calvinists. I said, Calvinist friends, and for them only, do you consider faith to be a work in the sense that it merits anything? If not, then how can a non-Calvinist position be considered synergism? Okay, so that was the question. Now I would like to share with you guys some of the responses to that question and see if you can't tell where on in it's like it's like left brain, right brain. Like 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 left brain of the Calvinist wants to say faith is not a work. But then right brain says, but faith is a work, because if you have it without God making you have it then you get glory and that's a work that earns you salvation. So see how they're, they're conflicted here. And I want to free you with the Bible, you know, from that conflict. So, um, Jeff Robinson, he responded to my request. He says, according to Ephesians two, salvation is by grace. So there's no boasting. I agree. And faith itself is a gift. That's not what Ephesians two says. It is given to us. Otherwise there would be grounds for boasting. Wait, faith is grounds for boasting, but that's, can I take us? Boasting is excluded. Why? By the law of faith. No boasting. In fa okay, so let's go back to those two questions. 
David Wilson says, sup, Mike. Sup, David. He says, I put faith in a different category than works in that it's different than something like feed the poor. However, it is still a command, so it is similar in, in that way. If putting faith in Christ is a good thing, then it follows that God saves us based on good things we do, which is ultimately salvation by merit, even if it's merit light. And I'll say, David, that is, you've perfectly followed the track of Calvinism, right? Faith is, no, it's not really work, but you know what? It's a thing. Faith is something you do and aren't things you do works. But the Bible's clear. And when it comes to merit or earning salvation, faith is not a work. So problem solved. Um, faith's not a work. So it's not synergism. Steve Hayes, and some of these guys are actually, I think, well-known guys and professors and people who write books about Calvinism and grateful to have their responses. Um, Steve Hayes said, uh, two questions for my Calvinist friends. My first question, he answers, in Calvinism, both faith and works are non-meritorious. Notice how he says in Calvinism. I just want to know in reality, right? But in, he says in Calvinism, they don't earn anything. Two, if not, then how can a non-Calvinist position be considered synergism? He says in free will theism, faith is an independent contribution made by the sinner. No, no, it, now it, it's something I do, but I don't even do it alone. I don't do it in a vacuum. I don't do it without the pole of God on, on, on me, but I do make a free decision I could accept or reject, and I choose to accept. So he says, in Calvinism, faith is the inevitable result of monergistic regeneration. God causes or engenders saving faith in the elect. In other words, in Calvinism, if God didn't make you have faith, it would be a work. Now, I would say it's not, and so... Calvinism is unnecessary. Uh, Joe Dunn, uh, he says to number one, definitely the answer is kind of. <laughs> faith is kind of a work. It takes a certain kind of work to focus on faith action. God can't be pleased without that. If we do please him, that is in some sense merit. Since number one is essentially a yes, number two doesn't apply in my case. Um, and I agree. Yeah, if, if faith is a work, then obviously I'm a synergist if I don't think God gives me that faith. But may I take us back to the scripture here? Faith is not a work, right? By the law of faith, boasting is excluded. One is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So it's apart from works. Okay. So let's go back to those two questions. And let's see which one am I on now. There we go. Joe's question and, or Joe's statements. And then Terence Theodore says, faith is a work performed by God. That's a consistent Calvinist position. In fact, that's the most consistent one. Faith is a work and God does it. Um, but it's not biblical. Number two, he says the non-Calvinist position is considered synergistic because of how the Arminian understands free will. They believe that they chose to believe in and of themselves, hence synergism. Not quite accurate. Um, there's there's a belief that God was, was drawing me, but I did make a decision. And it was a free choice where I could have chosen to believe or chosen not to believe. And every time God says, choose, like, choose you this day who you will serve, this implies free will. A plain reading of the text is that we have free will. From Sonny Burrell. It says, I'm a little rusty, so I'm open for modification. And uh, Sonny says, no, faith is neither a work nor meritorious. I agree. The Bible agrees. Good answer. Number two, a non-Calvinist position is synergistic because it has, in effect, made faith meritorious. <clears throat> like, that's right. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> that's just something that, that's something that is said in Calvinism to push you to Calvinist views. Um, this assumes that to make faith meritorious is either necessarily or on account of some other part of the non-Calvinist position to make it synergistic. Yes, if faith is meritorious, then it's synergistic. If faith's not meritorious, as the Bible says, it's not synergistic. I don't need it to be done to me. I'm able to choose tr to trust in him. What is ruled out for the sake of this discussion, therefore, whether subjectively or objectively, is the idea that the non-Calvinist position can be synergistic without also making faith 
meritorious. Um, okay, so a little complicated there, but I'll move on. So Laura Elizabeth McGregor answered uh, on my Facebook page, and she says, yes, yes, faith is God's work, and it merits everything. And I would say, I disagree with that, but it's consistent, because she goes, do I have to even answer the second question? And I was like, no, you don't. Because if faith is meritorious, boom, right? Then, then uh, boom, <laughs> Here's, then uh, there's my questions. I want to show my questions again. If faith is meritorious, then she's right. If faith is a work, then yes, non-Calvinist positions are synergistic. If faith is not a work, Calvinism is unnecessary, ultimately. Um, I'm going to go to Twitter. This is some stuff we got on Twitter. Um, Precept guy says, no, faith is not uh, meritorious. It's not a work. And then number two, choosing something is a work. So in his view, the faith wasn't a work, but choosing to have faith, that was a work. Okay, but that's not what scripture says. This is a... A, um, a policing, or a, how do I say this? This is a fail-safe to keep you in Calvinism. Is to, on one hand, recognize faith is not a work, and on the other hand, try to somehow make it a work so that I have to say that regeneration precedes faith, so I have to say that um, God has to do all the faith in me, faith is a gift of God, and it, it's monergistic. The fact that I believe is just because God made me believe, or else I'm, or I'm boasting, I'm somehow better than the unsaved, but that's, none of those things are biblical. Um, faith alone is God's work, Ashley Gardner says, and I don't agree. And that's not what scripture indicates. Um, alone. God alone makes me have faith. So I have no free will in, in it. But that's not established with scripture. A reformed Christian apologist, uh, I like this. He just goes, yep. <laughs> that's, and that's the consistent Calvinist view. So these are, these are some of them. I think I had one more I wanted to bring up. Um, Let's see. I want to bring up Aaron Bray because Aaron's a buddy of mine and he even has a video on my channel dealing with um, uh, abortion. Really, really well done. Good educational stuff. On uh, you Check it out. Um, so he says, do you consider faith to be a work in the sense that it merits anything? And Aaron says, no, faith is not a work, but is itself a gift of God? And again, I, that's not what Ephesians 2 says, um, that faith in and of itself is a gift of God. That's not what it says. Um, it says that being saved by grace through faith, that's a gift of God. So salvation is a gift of God. Um, when a Calvinist refers to faith as, meritorious, as a meritorious work, it is usually in critique of free will theism or Arminianism. In other words, the critique is that a synergistic model of regeneration in effect turns faith into a work rather than a gift since it's something man contributes to his own salvation. So, faith is, so Aaron, I love you, brother, right? But you're saying faith is not a work, but it is. And that's why you can't have faith on your own. And you're blaming it on me, like I'm the one making it a work. But over here, I'm here, the non-Calvinist saying, faith's not a work, end of story. There's no other, it's pretty simple stuff, you know. Number two, if not, then how can a non-Calvinist position be considered synergism? Um, it is termed synergistic because man must cooperate with God's grace for the act of regeneration to take place. See, when we go cooperate, we start to change the language, cooperate, synergism, Man must do something. Man has to work. That's labor. That's merit. That's earning salvation. But that's not biblical. The Bible, again, says faith is not a work. Um, so on the free will theism or Arminian view, Arminian view, God's grace is necessary to save but not sufficient and therefore seen by, is seen by Calvinists as undermining the reform principle of sola gratia. See, I get where they're coming from. They're just wrong. It's adding, having faith to access what God has done does not undermine grace at all. It establishes grace. That's what the scripture has said. It establishes grace. Um, 
So as as we read uh, earlier. So um, here's what I would like to do right now. Um, I there's a lot of directions we could go right now, but I want to go to your guys' questions first because here's the thing: we're going to prioritize you telling me I'm wrong, <laughs> and I don't mind. But I'm going to ask this: as you're putting those those statements in the comments, be specific, be clear, and actually deal with what I've said. If you're going to change the subject, I'm probably not going to respond to that because. I like having focused videos that stay on topic as much as possible. And, um, and then if you guys want, uh, we can deal with uh, some of the other issues, like the issue about um, uh, whether or not faith is a gift. And I have some scriptures I can bring up. We can talk about that for a minute. But, but let me just deal with some of your objections first. So um, here we go. This is from uh, Michael Cato. He says, question for Mike, uh, regardless of whether faith is a work or not, would not passages such as Acts 13.48 and John 6.44 suggest that God is absolutely the catalyst for this belief? Thanks always. Okay, um, so this is a question about what, what causes me to have faith. And uh, let's bring those verses up. Let me bring up my, uh, my software again. There it is. So Acts 13.48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, so this is where, um, I mean, this passage doesn't say um, uh, anything about God being the catalyst for belief, except that God's ordination, God's God's election of those people from before time is there. And I believe in in election. I have a video um, called uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, Predestination, and Election. That's the title of the video. And actually, it's linked in the video description because I kind of anticipated this might come up. So you're welcome to check that out and see how I answer that in more detail. I'll say, though, off the cuff, what I want a scripture to tell me is uh, man makes no decision um, about believing God. Or, I mean, we start to get into libertarian free will and compatibilism and things like this. But the Bible doesn't talk clearly about those issues. It just seems to imply, like, you make a choice to believe. And I'm going to trust that unless I have some good, clear scripture that says something otherwise. So I believe God is working in me and I'm making a choice to believe. And he elected me from before the foundations of the world. And my belief is involved in all that. So John 6.44. This always comes up in uh, the debate with Calvinism. It says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so um, I would say... God, as I've kind of hinted at, shared already, God does a work in my life, right? Through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Bride say come, you know, through the conviction of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, through the preaching of the gospel, because the gospel goes out with power. And so all of these things are drawing me. And when I assent, and I do think I have to assent, and I think God ordained that, and that's that part of believe or don't believe, then I am drawn. That drawing has been has come to completion, you know? So God, there's a, there's a reaching out to all people, but he does not draw all people to himself entirely. The, to me, John 644 doesn't pose a problem, uh, here. So I'll let someone else bring up another issue there, but, um, okay. Christopher Jank says, uh, I'm a Calvinist. Uh, how does one explain scriptures like, uh, Peter two, eight or other clear teachings of double predestined? Uh, I'm trying to remember, is that first Peter two, eight? Yeah, okay, so they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Um, 
so, okay, this is getting off topic. Um, I'd like to deal with this issue sometimes. People have asked me, like, do a video on Molinism, Mike. Okay, so yeah, this is going to deal with some other things like that. I think, I'm trying to think of how to not make this too much information, right? Um, I think that from my perspective, I can look at God's ordination of events and I can say, yes, God ordains events and man makes free will choices. I believe both of those things are true. So when it says God ordained it, that doesn't somehow controvert people making free will choices. And so the first Peter passage, first Peter two, it's specifically talking about um, how when Christ came, the rulers and the people, they didn't know. And God had a hand in that. He ordained that Jesus would be rejected by the people of God or the Jewish people, I should say, um, that Jesus would be crucified under Pontius Pilate and that Judas himself would betray him. But that doesn't mean that Judas didn't make a choice or Pilate didn't make a choice or the Jewish people didn't make a decision about Jesus. So God both ordained it and they made choices. Um, it was it was both, in my opinion. I don't see that this has anything... I, I don't think it changes my view on this issue. Um, so that's my understanding. Thomas Riza says, Mike, I'm a Calvinist and I appreciate your videos and I'm very thankful for your exegesis of scripture. I would just ask if you would have a good in-house conversation with James White. Um, I'd be terrified to talk to James White, man. That guy. <laughs> um, James White, I love James White, man. And and, and he's, a, he's an experienced and skilled debater. And I would be totally scared to go against him um, in a conversation like that, which the goal would be to prove me wrong. Uh, but I would consider it <laughs> just because I'm scared. doesn't stop me from doing it. I mean, right? So, no, I, I would I would consider that. Um, yeah, I would consider it. I, I would probably want to do a whole lot more preparation um, than I have done in order to have that conversation, but I'd be open to it. Uh, yeah, so Michael Seleski says... I'm a Calvinist and never heard that faith is a work. Where are these points pulled from? Uh, um, well, okay, so I, I gave you the I think you probably asked that before I gave you all those quotes from Calvinists where, um, yeah, they're, they're saying, yeah, if God doesn't create faith in you in some sense, there's a few different options. Either God makes you, he changes your will so that now you want to have faith, in which case he didn't make the faith, he made the want for the faith, or he gives you the faith itself. Faith is a gift, and God just gives it to you, and now I, you believe as a pure work of God. Those are the quotes. There's a kind of a couple of ways of which they unpack it. Um, so uh, Triggerman1976 says, Mike, you claimed that faith is not a gift in Ephesians 2. However, uh, verse 8 clearly says faith is a gift. Please defend your claim. All right, let's let's do it. Ephesians 2.8. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of Greek. All right, here's how a Calvinist reads this. Um, some Calvinists read this. Here we go, let's shrink this down so I can see what I'm doing. Okay, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, and that word this, or in some translations that, this is the whole focus is on what does this word mean? So this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Okay, so what's the gift of God? So some Calvinists will say faith. Faith is the gift of God. It's the last thing that was said in Ephesians 2, uh, 8, the first sentence there. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. End of story, problem solved. Um, but um, others will point out that there's a problem in the Greek here. And I'll, I'm going to give you the problem in the Greek, then I'm going to give you the Calvinist response to that problem. Okay, so I'm going to unpack the whole issue here. Let's just dig in, right? Um, at least to the best of my ability. I'm not like a Greek scholar, but I try to study these things to understand them. Um, so... Um, in the Greek, there's ways of tying words together in a sentence that we don't really have in English very well or at all. And it has to do with the feminine, neuter, or masculine.
form of the word. And so in, in this sense, um, the word faith is a, um, let me see, Ephesians 2, 8. I'll just double check this so I, so I, I get it right. Um, the word faith is um, pisteos or pisteos, and it is a feminine, um, it is a feminine word. And so the problem is that the word this, this is not your own doing. That word is in the neuter. That means, let me unpack what that means. That means that this is not connected to the word faith, not specifically. And that's what Calvinists need it to mean, to say that faith is the gift. Now the, the, now the response to this from the Calvinists will be, yeah, but the word this isn't connected to any of the words that come before it. And that's true. They're all either masculine or feminine. And then the word this, that's neuter. What does that mean when you have it not connecting to any specific word? It means that this is the this. <laughs> so far, but grace, you've been saved through faith. That is the gift of God. It's not the grace, it's not the saved, and it's not the through faith. It's the whole idea saved by grace through faith. So the Calvinist responds and goes, it's the whole idea. You mean it's each piece of the idea. And they say, grace is the gift of God. Saved is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. Ah, but there's a problem. The word this is not plural. It's, it's, not, it's not plural. It's not these are the gift of God. It's this is the gift of God. So... For those who are still with me today, <laughs> um, we have to take it as an inclusive term about salvation. Grace saved through faith, that is God's gift. He gives you the gift of being saved by grace through faith. That's the gift. You can't say grace is the gift. I mean, grace is a gift is a tautology. That doesn't mean anything. Um, you you can't say saved is the gift. And you can't say faith is the gift. You got to include them all together. So So in that sense, faith is not is not a gift in that text. That's the Ephesians text. There's other verses I'll try to use as well, but that's probably the most popular one. Um, okay, so next question. This is from uh, Gospel Hand. Um, yeah, my, my wife has some Calvinist friends who have thrown some verses I would like Mike Winger to answer. John 6, 44, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Okay, so I, I did already get to that one. So the next question, also from Gospel Hand is, the second verse I would like Mike to address would be Matthew 6, 7, 16, 17, where Peter says Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus says it wasn't Peter who, de who decided that, but the Holy Spirit revealing it. So let's look at that verse and we'll bring it up on screen. Matthew 16, 17. Hold on just a moment here. Okay, this verse, um, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. Um, this is a good example to me where sometimes a Calvinist, uh, I, I shouldn't put it that way, um, sometimes a person, because Calvinists, non-Calvinists, anybody can do this. This is a really common thing. We are just sometimes not good at limiting ourselves to the meaning of the text. Like we read meaning into it. It's called eisegesis. There's a term for doing this. It's when you draw Try to, try to get meaning out of the text that's not there. So you just put your own meaning into it. What is this saying? Um, it just says, Simon knew the identity of Jesus, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. He knew it because it was revealed to him from the father. That's it. it how does this have to do with whether or not we can make a decision when it comes to faith? It just doesn't mean anything. Um, 
just yeah it's just an unrelated verse and get get your radar ready christians right to be able to hear when someone uses a verse to say this means that and the verse has some connection but not really like just notice it just go that verse just isn't saying that um and give yourself the courage and the willingness to just say hey it doesn't mean that and as as pastors uh, if are you te- if you're a teacher and you listen to me you've got to have a rule like firmly in your heart and you know what i mean when i say this you will not teach something because it preaches well. You will teach it because it's true. No matter what, you're going to use this verse and you're like, I want to use this verse to help make this point. As you read the verse, you go, it doesn't really say that. You better not use that verse. You better not. You're compromising your own integrity as a teacher, but you're, you're breaking the ability of your people to discern what the scripture actually means because you're teaching them to misuse it instead of use it properly. So sorry for uh, sort of getting on my, my pulpit there. Um, okay, so Sarah uh, Buchamp. Or Bo, Bochamp, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. <clears throat> it's, she says, 70, 75% Calvinist, LOL. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Hi, Pastor Mike. Thank you for all your videos. I'm following what you're saying tonight, but I get hung up on the dead in trespasses and sins point. Because even if faith isn't a work, what can we do or accept or believe or receive when we're dead? We're lifeless and unable to comprehend or accept faith, uh, by faith, anything. Now, please help me understand this. Thank you, Pastor. Um, okay, so, and this is, let me let me make it even more in the common way I hear this stated. It's the Lazarus analogy. The analogy goes like this. Um, you know, you're dead in your sins and trespasses, Ephesians, right? You're, you're just, you're dead. You're a dead man. Now, when Jesus went and raised Lazarus, you know, he calls Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus comes forth. Now, Lazarus, he had no ability as a dead man to respond to the voice of Christ. Jesus had to literally make him alive first in order for Lazarus to even hear his voice. And this becomes an analogy for the gospel, right? God has to regenerate me, save me so that I can have faith, so that I can believe. And I'll say that's a great analogy, but that's not what Lazarus is about. And the Bible doesn't use the story of Lazarus as an analogy for this issue. Ephesians, dead in trespasses and sins, and Lazarus don't go together, in my opinion. Um, So... What did it mean that we're dead in trespasses and sins? It, it's the same kind of death that um, Adam and Eve experienced immediately upon eating of the fruit. They're lost in sin. They're cons- conscripted over to the bondage of sin and of the flesh and of the domination of wickedness in their lives. Um, does this mean that they can't even, with the work of the Holy Spirit, with the help of God, they can't just say yes to the gospel? I don't think so. So dead in sin doesn't mean dead, dead right? Because if we were all dead, I wouldn't be making a live stream. Like, right? Like if you were a baseball player and you were unsaved, you wouldn't be unable to swing the bat because dead people can't swing bats. Like you, you just gotta, you know, let, let Ephesians stand on its own in that, in that context. So dead doesn't mean unable to make choices, unable to respond to what God says. Um, it does mean unable to do good works that please God, but faith is not a work. And so it wouldn't be in that category. Um, Okay, so I, oh, I I don't know. Do I have more questions here, or I'm just uh... oh, okay. I see these are these are non-Calvinist questions. So let me let me come to those in just a moment. Let me first, if I can, recap some of these things, um, some other objections that might be there. Um, if uh, if 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 I'm right and faith is not a work, and this whole concept of synergism monergism that is very powerfully used to sway people towards Calvinism, if it's just a misapplication of synergism to faith, like that's not synergism, um, then that means that 
it's perfectly okay for man to believe that responding to God in faith doesn't rob God of glory. It gives him glory. Trusting God doesn't give me glory. It gives God glory. Um, the act of just believing, while it might be an act or something I do, it's not in the category of work that merits anything. In fact, it establishes grace and it establishes that I cannot boast. Remember my two questions, right? If faith's not a work, basically, why do I need Calvinism? I mean, in that, in that sense, there's more to the story, but it, to me, it's a major pillar of Calvinism. So, um, yeah, let me look at your guys' other questions here. Um, <clears throat> from Michael Cato. Oh, no, that's, I think I got all those. Yes. Non-Calvinist questions. All right. Uh, Luis Hernandez, what do you uh, think about the G12 movement among churches? I don't know much about it, honestly, Luis, uh, or Luis, I think it's Luis. Um, I don't know that much about the G12 movement. I know they have like a G12 conference and I've heard about it and I heard some of the speakers and thought, oh, I'd like to go. Like, but I don't really, but I don't know much about it, to be honest. Um, Judah Matthews says, uh, Mike, how does the need for a cultural historical context fit with the sufficiency of scripture. I often hear you need to know X about the culture to get this passage. If so, is it really sufficient? Um, well, let's, if what we mean by sufficiency of scripture is hand someone a Bible and they don't need any other information to help understand that Bible, then I don't think that that's um, what it was meant by sufficiency of scripture. I disagree with that definition because consider this, like let's say, I hand you a Bible and it's in it's in Spanish, but you don't speak Spanish. You you speak English, but it's in Spanish. It's the only Bible around. I hand it to you and I go, don't worry, it's totally sufficient. And then you look around and you're like, well, someone help me learn Spanish. You know, maybe the only Bibles are in Spanish. So you go, help me learn Spanish. And then, then you start to wonder, wait, if I have to learn Spanish to understand this, in fact, if I have to learn to read to understand, if I have to even learn grammar and rules of language to understand this, then is scripture really sufficient? So what is scripture sufficient for? The Bible's not sufficient for teaching you English. It's sufficient for all the good works that man needs to do in order to honor God. So the theology and the teaching and that sort of thing. And there will be things you don't understand in the Bible because of your own lack of knowledge, just as there's things I don't understand. My lack of information, lack of background knowledge, lack of wisdom, lack of um, biblical categories in my own head or something like that. But the scripture itself, itself is sufficient. I guess where I would then draw the line, it's, I'd say, Scripture's sufficient. Um, that doesn't mean I'm sufficient. <laughs> and, and, uh, and its sufficiency, I think, for enabling me for good works and enabling me for good theology is still going to be intact, even if I don't understand certain passages. Um, that would be my, my short answer or long answer, whichever you consider it. Uh, Juan uh, Polgarin says, <clears throat> Hey Mike, do you think being Calvinist is dangerous? Can it cloud interpretation of scripture and force the Calvinist opinion when they read certain verses? Um, let me answer that t as two questions. Is Calvinism dangerous? Maybe. You know, um, some Calvinists will take Calvinism and do things with it that I think are bad. Others will, will hold Calvinism and then live these wonderful like lives that I, well, I would aspire to live myself. And so... I, this is the rhetorical side. I hesitate to blame Calvinism for lack of missionaries, especially, especially when I find out in church history there's these incredible missionaries that were driven by um, not only their belief uh, in the Bible, but their Calvinistic assumptions actually some, sometimes helped them go out there and do more evangelism, whereas other guys, their Calvinistic assumptions stopped them from doing evangelism. So I kind of blame the people for that and try to, I just try to avoid dealing with the rhetorical side of things. Um, but you said, can it cloud your interpretation of scripture and forced 
Calvinist opinions when they're reading certain verses? Yes, absolutely. I mean, of course it can. Um, and if I'm wrong about my belief about free will, it, it may, I'll be confronted with scripture that's going to show me I'm wrong and I'll, I'll be finagling my way around it or I'll let it say what it says. Um, so yeah, it, it could cause a problem. So Justin Barnes says, um, Mike, could you exegete the golden chain of redemption in Romans eight twenty eight through 30? If you haven't already done, uh, by the end of the video, um, I think that's kind of a lot to get into at the moment. Um, tell you what, I'm maybe I'll do a whole video on that. Cause here's what I would want to do. If I'm going to talk about this, I think I should go and dig up some informed Calvinist opinions about this passage and do it to do it better justice. Um, do you believe, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Lauren B says, do you believe once saved, always saved, or does one sin cause us to lose salvation? Um, I don't think one sin causes us to lose salvation. I don't think that's on the table for anybody. I don't think, well, I think hardly anybody would think that. And as far as, do I believe once saved, always saved? I get asked this question all the time, and I wish I had a better answer for you. I'm going to say two things. One, I'm not sure. And <laughs> I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not certain where I stand on this issue. This doesn't mean I doubt God's ability to keep me. It doesn't mean I doubt his grace and goodness. And it doesn't mean I think that people have like, like, oop, one, you blew it, you're gone, you're, you're, you're unsaved. But there are certain passages of scripture where I just, I go, I don't know how to interpret that with the belief that once saved, always saved. And there's other passages of scripture where I go, I'm not sure how to, how to handle that with the belief of losing your salvation. And so I have not come to a place where, in my understanding, where I feel like I understand the Bible well enough to teach this topic. So I, that's why you don't have, I don't have videos on it. Um, so Lauren, I'm saying this, I don't know. And I'm not your source on this issue. I would encourage you to find, you know, someone else. And hopefully one day I can, I can bring a clear and biblically faithful, you know, explanation of this topic. I would really hope to do that sometime. <clears throat> Judah Matthew says, Mike, uh, how does the need for a cultural historical context fit with the sufficiency of, oh, I already read that. Okay. All right. Good. Um, Oh, and one more Calvinist question from <clears throat> Cypress Psalm. Um, it says, Mike, isn't faith more of a work when we have the choice to believe or not? Partial depravity versus God being solely, and I mean solely responsible for salvation, um, total depravity. Isn't faith a work when we have the choice to believe or not? That's this whole video. That's what this is about. Is faith a work when I merely make a choice to trust God, not according to the Bible, not according to the passages that we read, um, the multiple scriptures we've read. And if I could just remind you again, um, Romans three, um, Romans four, just read through Romans three and four and ask yourself, you know, why doesn't Paul in the course of Romans three and four, why doesn't he say somewhere in there, but your faith was given to you by God in, and, and not just given in some general sense, but in the specific sense in which you didn't even choose salvation. You didn't even choose Jesus of your own, of your own will. God changed your will or just imparted faith to you. Those are the two options I see. Um, but I don't think that's the case. So there's my spiel there to me is I think a very legitimate and real Achilles heel of Calvinism. This is why in other videos I've said, faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. Like to me, this answers the whole question. Faith is not a work. Now I've been able to unpack this and explain this more in a more detailed way. So you don't think I'm just kind of being uh, casual and flippant about some deep issue. 
Um, I hope that this has been helpful to you guys. I hope that this is something that's going to make a difference for maybe even some Calvinists. Do I want you to, to, to change from Calvinist to non-Calvinist? Well, yeah, but here's why. Because I think you're going from less biblical to more biblical in that change. That's the reason. Now, I'm on, the, I'm on record and I'll say it again. If Calvinism is true, I want to be a Calvinist. I will not demonize. I will not attack it from some emotional side. I'll just be like, no, I want to believe what, what God says in his word. Um, his word is an authority over me. And I fully want to submit to whatever God says. Um, so next week, I'm going to be dealing with the um, Passion Translation. Uh, this, to me, is, is a danger. I have it around here somewhere. But, ah, there it is. I've been looking into the Passion Translation. And this is a new translation produced by a gentleman who... Um, uh, says, and I quote, it is a heart level translation that expresses God's fiery heart of love to this generation. So I have some issues and concerns with the translation. I'm going to try to unpack those things. And, um, and I think it's really worth doing. And, uh, and yeah, so I hope that this has helped again. I'm not going to harp on Calvinism. This isn't, this isn't my ministry. That's not what I'm going to constantly talk about, but I do I want to remain unafraid to tackle any issue that I feel I can be confident about the biblical truth of it and to share it with you. And you do not have to take my word for it. And you don't have to agree with me. And just like I recommended R.C. Sprawl and James White, strong Calvinist proponents, I think we've got to learn to listen to people who don't hold all of our opinions so we're not living in an echo chamber. But we have a group of guys who love the word of God and they hold fast to the word of God that we can listen to. And even though they have a variety of opinions, we can have a variety of teachers. It rounds us out. As Christians, I think it's a very healthy thing. So, uh, Lord bless you guys. Um, thanks again for being here. This has been—I can't believe how many people we've 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 had on the uh, on the stream. There's over 300 people at one point. It's kind of scary. Why are people watching me? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we'll be on again next week at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to talk about the Passion Translation. And I will. Um, uh, Later tonight, try to be kind of watching the comments and stuff like that on this video, at least for a few hours. I can't keep up with comments anymore, but I can try to watch at least when it's a fresh video so I can see what you guys have to say and get your feedback. And I would love to know, Calvinist, if you've stuck with me this long and you're a Calvinist, I would love to know your opinion about the things that I've shared, even if you continue to disagree with me. That's okay. God bless you guys.